Whispers in the Trees is a dark podcast currently focusing on the Great White North, surrounding all of our grisly truths from the kindest place on earth to the head-scratching unknowns hidden beneath our snow. My name is Mads and join me today on a deep dive into the Canadian Railway and the Chinese head tax. If you want to support me in my passion of bringing these dark secrets to light, please consider supporting me at buymeacoffee.com forward slash whispers podcast. Today's case will be including heavy historical discrimination and violence. I hope I shouldn't have to clear this up, but I will just in case I do. These are not my views, no matter how bluntly they will be put out in this podcast. Any discrimination is historical only and very ugly, but very accurate and something we need to look in the face. We have to accept it and understand that it happened in history. We can't leave it buried in the snow. So pull out your hair dryers with me and help me melt the ice. But if you're unable to listen to this, I understand. Please turn back now as viewer discretion is sincerely advised. Now those of you that remain, sit around my campfire. These are my whispers in the trees. British Columbia needed labor, and the cheapest place to get workers? China. They used the immigrants all over the railway to begin with. They were the cheap labor of the time, and they were the ones that they could get. When the railway was first started as a project, they couldn't actually get enough white people to sign up for the hazardous hard work. They didn't want to do this, so the government and the railway company just kind of had to accept that the Chinese people were going to have to do. That feels really weird saying, but here we are. It was actually cheaper at the time to bring people in from Hong Kong than from Halifax. The terrain in Canada was difficult to manage and it was actually easier to bring people by ship from another country than from our own. The Rocky Mountains, especially around BC, were hard to navigate with horse and buggy. By foot would have been so much worse. So bringing people across the country, nightmare. Easier to just sail people in. So the Canadian government decided, hey, let's exploit this. And they allowed as many Chinese people into the country as they could. 15 to 20,000 laborers would make their way over to the exact. They would come by ship from California, which that one makes sense to come to BC from California for cheaper from Halifax. But they also came from Hong Kong. It just boggles my mind. Chinese immigrants were just excited and hopped on these ships wanting work on the railway and to make a new life for themselves in this new country. They wanted what every other person at the time wanted. They were exactly like every other immigrant of the time. Prime Minister John A. Macdonald only saw cheap and easy to get labor. When BC first tried to ban the allowance of these people, because yes, they tried to ban the allowance of Chinese people into the province, he is quoted as saying, either you must have these people or you can't have your railway. Even though it was saving the province money somehow, BC still tried to ban the Chinese labor and the prime minister had to get involved because of the money. Racism was running deep in Canada at this time. Deep. Because Canada didn't really want them there at this time, the poor Chinese immigrants got the least pay and the most dangerous jobs. They were paid a dollar a day while white coworkers got 150 to 250 a day. There was a lot of hate aimed at them for the belief that they were stealing jobs away from European Canadians because of them being such cheap labor. (sighs) 
Despite this, they tried to just go in and do their jobs, but it really wasn't that easy. They handled the explosives most commonly or did unskilled labor like blacksmithing, tunneling, or carpentry with hand tools and were chucked into the areas with the roughest terrain. Because they had to pay for their own food and their gear from their very tiny wage, they tended to die from malnutrition, exposure, and accidents from the environments they were working in and the shitty tools that they were using. They could not afford fruits and vegetables because the wages they had. They lived on dried salmon and rice that they cooked over the campfires they had when they came home. Because of the lack of the vitamins, a lot of them actually got scurvy. People were getting scurvy on land because they weren't getting paid enough to afford the fruits and vegetables. How fucked up is that? They didn't have medical care, so they relied on herbal cures for diseases that ran through the camps, and I'm sure we can imagine how that went as well. Herbal cures are wonderful things, but I promise they ain't gonna do shit against tetanus and serious infections. When they had to put down tracks, they had to go as far from their camps as they possibly could go. And this means they would pack everything up and hike often up to 40 kilometers, even in winter conditions. 40 kilometers is just under 25 miles for my American listeners and those who use that system. At the time, these people were mostly living in tents. During the winter, the only way to keep warm was through open fire. I'm sure you can imagine how this went as well. There is also some evidence of facing abuse at the hands of their supervisors, and really, would we be surprised at all? This wasn't an uncommon practice at the time for people to use corporal punishment in the home. I can't imagine what they would do behind closed doors to people that they thought of as less than human. One foreman actually failed to mention to his workers that the explosion was going to happen early. In his eyes, these were just Chinese people, and one poor man's head got blown off because of it. Unfortunately, very few written records have survived the camps, and survivors didn't want to talk about the abuses they faced while working. They tried to suck it up, causing exponential hurt to themselves. There are very, very few photos of the Chinese workers at this time. When they would go in and take photographs of the railway being built, the photographers would actually shoo away the Chinese workers to make the photos look better. Real nice. A prime example of this was when they drove the final spike into the track and took a celebratory photo. There's not a single Chinese person in sight. There was eventually an eight-day strike in June of 1867. They had to give up the strike when they had food, supplies, and transportation cut off to the work camps. They got no pay for these eight days, but it is said that these attempts were not in vain, as things did get a little bit better afterwards. I guess white people were finally realizing that the Chinese people were not going to lay down and take the abuse that they were being given. The prime minister at the time did stand up for them at first, and as soon as the railway was nearing completion, he began to give in to the louder voices around him that wanted the Chinese immigrants out of the country. There was a minimum of 600 Chinese people, and some sources saying the number is closest to 1,200, that gave their lives to the railroad, and this is the thanks that they were given for their sacrifice. And yes, you heard me, that were killed, they gave their lives for the railroad in Canada. Up to 1,200 people are killed, and now you're just going to kick them out of the country. Nice thanks that they're given. Not much has changed now, has it? In 1994, he appointed the Royal Commission on Chinese Immigration to try and see how they could restrict the Chinese people coming into the country. Commissioners Sir Joseph Adolphe Chaplot and John Hamilton Gray, I probably butchered the first name, listened to 51 witnesses give testimony. Almost all of them were negative, but what can you expect when only 2 out of 51 are Chinese? 
Both of these testimonies came from officials in San Francisco, California, so not even from Canada. But the commissioners also looked at other nations' policies in restricting Chinese people, such as the American Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, as well as the 1881 Chinese immigration laws in New Zealand and the ones in 1885 in Victoria, Australia, both of which had a 10-pound poll tax on Chinese immigrants. In 1885, the commissioners said that there was little evidence to support the negativity against the Chinese people and that these people were actually a really beneficial resource that could help with the development of BC. But instead of listening to their findings and deciding to back off from these policies, the commissioners decided to put a $10 head tax on every Chinese citizen that would enter the country. This money was supposed to help with disease control, eye roll, insert, within immigrant parties, as well as paying for a joint tribunal to closely monitor the Chinese people's day-to-day -day lives. Because that isn't severely fucked up and creepy, so you're supposed to have them do a $10 fee to enter the country that you're now saying is to go towards keeping their diseases in check, quote unquote, because they're diseased people, apparently. And you're going to closely monitor their day-to-day -day lives to make sure they're not fucking anything up. You're just going to watch them. What is wrong with you? What the hell? The Chinese Immigration Act was passed on July 20th, 1885. By the time the policy was actually passed, the tax would end up being a $50 entry. So we went from $10 to $50. The Royal Commission found that the average Chinese laborer only made $300 a year and saved $43 after all of their living expenses. So this $50 in head tax was supposed to be exactly what it sounded like, a deterrent to get into the country. It's supposed to be more than they would have been able to have in extra money, so they would not have been able to put it aside. It would have been more than a, a whole year's worth of extra money put aside to get into the country. In 1892, it was amended so that any Chinese person who left the country had to register to be allowed to do so with the immigration authorities. By 1902, the tax had doubled to $100 as it hadn't slowed down the immigration. Chinese immigrants were still making their way into the country in waves, and there was another inquiry into the tax. The Royal Commission wanted to actually raise it to $500. This was two years' salary by an average laborer, or the cost of two homes. The government said go for it in 1903. Ships were only permitted into Canada if they had only one Chinese person per every 50 tons of weight. This is compared to one person per every two tons for a European person. So that's one Chinese for every 50 tons or one European for every two tons. That's insane. And honestly, the racism this way was only done towards the Chinese. There was no Japanese head tax. There was no Filipino head tax. There was only the Chinese head tax. This was how they were trying to deal with the Chinese immigrants. All Chinese residents, whether Canadian born or naturalized, would have to register with the government at the cost of 50 cents. So another cost for these poor people. These people, they're just trying to drain their pockets so that they weren't able to afford to live in Canada anymore. Before 1908, students were exempt from the tax, but that was the year that changed. The only Chinese people that were exempt from the head tax were Chinese women that were married to European men. That was the only way to get around it. In 1917, immigration officials gained the right to arrest any Chinese person they believed were in the country illegally. There didn't have to be a reason, they just had to believe they were illegally there. 
I'm sure the authorities ran with this in the day. The racism was running deep. In 1921, any Chinese person who left the country for more than two years would have to repay the tax in whole. So if they left for more than two years at a time, even if they registered with the immigration office, they had to repay their entire entry. So this was a time when they had no electricity in their ships and boats. So it took months and months and months to get back home to China or Hong Kong. So it would have really discouraged them from going to see their families back home or I can only imagine the emotional tax this took on these people. They're taxing their wallets and their minds. This is insanity. Over the next 38 years, so until 1923, the main tax was in effect. Chinese immigrants would pay over $23 million in taxes. There were only 82,000 immigrants. Newfoundland kept their tax in effect until 1949. It wasn't until 1948 that Asian Canadians actually got the right to vote. This is after World War I and II. There were Asian Canadian soldiers fighting for a country they couldn't even vote in. They fought for the ability to make the country better, for the freedom for their children, because these people desperately fought back against the abuse that they suffered by trying to make a better world, a better country, a better place for their children. They didn't talk about the abuses that they suffered. They didn't deal with the traumas that they had. They didn't they shoved it under the rug and just tried to make the life better for their kids. That was the revenge that they had. They tried to be happy and make their kids happy to spite the government and say, fuck you, we can live here and we can be Canadians too because we are happy here. Just because you don't want us here doesn't mean we have less of a right to be here than you do. You are also immigrants, motherfuckers. It is incredibly unlikely that there were any survivors of the railway alive to hear the apology on June 22, 2006, given by the Canadian Prime Minister, Stephen Harper. At this time, most Canadian Pacific Railway workers would have been 106 years old, and the way the Chinese-Canadian culture was back in the day, I cannot speak for it being the way today as I am not Chinese and would not know. But back in the day, it was known, like I said, that the Chinese people did not talk about the abuses they suffered. Their kids actually did not know the full extent of abuse that their parents had gone through. They didn't fully realize the extent that the apology needed to cover. So these kids didn't really understand the apology that was being given for the parents that were already gone. And then they also apologized for the head tax, but this is a little more likely to have some survivors to have heard it. But again, I kind of want to say it probably felt like too little too late. Was that as uncomfortable for you as it was for me? Good. That's history. It isn't supposed to be comfortable. We have to hear the ugly truths and we have to face them so that we can understand them and end the cycles that continue. We have to remember that this did happen and we have to accept that it happened and not brush it under the rug so that it can't happen again. These people suffered and it's not okay, but it happened and we remember it and it is what it is. It's history. As long as we don't let the cycle continue, that's all we can do. It's really unfortunate because I even though it's hard for me to speak on this because I am not Chinese, I saw a lot of parallels that 
I've seen with a lot of my Asian friends even in today's society like with COVID and especially the Chinese people were really really demonized for the way it was because they were diseased and dirty quote-unquote and that's the way they were treated with the Chinese head tax it was just as bad here as it was in the states to be honest a very very close friend of mine was harassed just waiting for the bus and just like a bunch of people came out of nowhere and just started giving her shit right like and then with the whole unemployment thing and cheap labor and these people are stealing our jobs people are doing that all over the place with the chinese and the asian people i hear that all over the place not not much has changed the racism is still the same we have to end these cycles. We just have to face them before we can end them. If you or anyone else are suffering from violence, please reach out for help at your local helplines. You can find your province-specific ones at www.dawncanada.net forward slash issues forward slash crisis dash hotlines forward slash. It's an awesome directory that's listed by province just scroll through find your province it's got all of your abuse related helplines that you could possibly need for resources scroll through find the resource you need click and it'll take you there so again www.dawncanada.net forward slash issues forward slash crisis dash hotlines forward slash if you or someone you know is suffering from a mental health crisis or just need someone to talk to about anything mental health related, you can dial 833-456-4566 for the Canadian Suicide Prevention Hotline. They're open 24-7, 365 a year, and available in both English and French. So again, that's 833-456-4566. And for my American listeners, your hotline is 1-800-273-8255. They're also open 24-7, 365 a year, and while I cannot guarantee that they are in French, they are in English, and they will also talk to you about anything mental health related. But if you feel it is more severe than this, please dial 911 or visit your local emergency room. You are worth all of the help you can possibly get. You are deserving of all of the help, even that you don't think you deserve. You can find me on YouTube or wherever you find your podcasts, all at Whispers in the Trees. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening. You guys are all so amazing. Stay safe out there.